husband, Melissa Green. Um, my husband is Chad. We have gone to the Vista for five years. So he works at the hospital and he has to go every every day. Life for him has been really stressful the past few months. And I feel guilty that for me it hasn't really been. I love quality time and I love um, calm. And so time at home has been so nice. We've learned life skills with our kids taught them important lessons that we normally wouldn't get to do. We've grown our garden. Yeah, there's something about seeing the science of a seed when given the right love in a form of sunshine and, and compost and dirt grow into something completely different. And I feel like it's always such a good reminder of tending ourselves and helping tend others. It's also been kind of a metaphor for um, my mental health and the health of our family. How the more we pay attention to it, the, the better things tend to be. The homeschool thing was, was a change because it's not true homeschool. Um, even my oldest, once we finished everything a few, you know, a week or so ago, he said, Mom, you know, being this sweetie, he's such a sweetheart, but he goes, I don't know if I'm learning anything new but um, I'm solving a lot of problems. And I just thought, me too, man, <laughs> me too. But no, there are a lot of stress and unknown and answering questions that sometimes I'd have to say, I don't know. And I, you know, buddy, that's a great question. I don't know, we'll try to figure it out. I think that's been a big lesson for me as a parent and for the kids to know that sometimes I don't know, but you can ask me something that, that I may not know and we'll try to figure it out together. But yeah, it's weirdly, it's had a really good impact on our family. So not that I'm thankful for COVID, but I'm thankful that our response as a family has been to take care of each other. I'm really thankful for that. Good morning, everyone. We are so thankful that you have joined us this morning here at the Vista. If this is your first time here with us, we would love to know that you are here. Uh, maybe you've been a couple times before and would like just information about connecting or how to serve here at the Vista. We would love to hear from you. And uh, we would invite you to fill out our digital connect card. And you can do that by texting new to the number on the screen that you see here. Um, we're especially glad that you're all here this morning because we know that it has been a very complicated and exhausting week for all of us, for our nation, for our church. And so it is really important and we're so grateful to take some time this morning to center ourselves, um, our hearts and our minds on Christ. I spent um, a lot of time these last few months through quarantine studying a specific Psalm, Psalm 73. And um, the author, Asaph, he talks about the importance of being in uh, the sanctuary of God and the presence of God. And he, in the Psalm 73, he writes about the frustration that he is feeling. And uh, as he looks out across the world and he sees the evil prospering, and he writes about how he, the depression that he feels and the struggle that he feels when he looks and he sees this. I wanna read a couple of verses from that chapter. Psalm 73, two through six. Asaph says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. 
Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not troubled as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Asaph is looking out over the world and he sees the wicked prospering and he is frustrated and he is angry and he is feeling the depression of not understanding this. Why is it this way? And then he writes in verse 16 and 17, when I sought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. When he came into the sanctuary of God and he centered himself on the truths of who God is and who we are in him, that's the only place he found comfort in the fact that God is a God of justice and he will deal with the wicked appropriately. And he was able to cling to the truth in the sanctuary of God. And the truth is this. He says it starting in verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. It is so good for us to be near God, to come into his presence so that he can remind us that he is a God of justice, that he is a God who loves us all and that we can center ourselves on him. Let's take some time just to pray this morning before Jordan and the band come and lead us in worship. May we center our hearts on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for time to set aside the struggle that we feel uh, and put ourselves before you and know that you hear our hearts and you see us and you love us, God. God, now more than ever, we need your spirit to give us wisdom and how to respond to the struggle in this world, how to respond in boldness and how to respond in love and how to trust that you are in this and you see this and that you are God of justice and truth and that you will always make yourself known. And when we find ourselves embittered in our hearts towards the evil and the struggle in this world, May we put ourselves before you and be reminded that you are God of love and a God of justice, and that you love all of us, and may we confess our hearts of sin before you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh
We.
stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working 
even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop.
God, we are so grateful. We're so grateful that while we were in our, in our sin, while we were a slave to our sin, you came in and you set us free by your blood that you poured out on a cross that was meant for us. And so we remember all that you've done in our lives, all that you've saved us from, all that you've freed us from. And we pour out worship and glory and honor at your feet because you're worthy. You're so worthy. We give you all glory, all honor, all praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Hey guys, good morning. Thanks again for uh, joining us for worship uh, today. Wherever you are, wherever you may be watching from, we are really glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Uh, I'm excited today. We're starting a new series. Uh, it's going to be uh, throughout the summer entitled, Did God Really Say? Um, we're going to be looking at some real popular, familiar statements or sayings that are often attributed to God or to the Bible. Uh, but we're asking the question, are they really in the Bible? Are they really something that God tells us and, and therefore we should pattern our lives after or not? And so I think it'll be a fun series. If you have a, a family friend, a co-worker, a neighbor that's not a part of a church, as always, we would encourage you to invite them uh, to join you. This would be a great time for them to come along and, and join us here at the Vista for the series. Um, before we get into our text and I set up that series, um, I wanted to take just a few moments and talk to our church um, about the events of the last couple weeks in our nation, uh, the death of George Floyd, uh, the protests and things that, of course, have broken out um, really all over the place. Um, we put out a statement, our elders put out a statement on Monday. Uh, we also linked uh, in that statement to some previous sermons Austin and I have preached on uh, racism, on reconciliation. So if you're looking for some content, we would point you to that for sure. I just wanted to briefly uh, say a few things. You know, this week I reached out to uh, several friends of mine in the uh, African-American community, uh, some friends that I used to be on sports teams with and play basketball with, and um, uh, some law enforcement officials. I spoke with one uh, minority law enforcement uh, official in, in our county. Um, he was struggling with some things, and so we, we talked for a while on the phone um, I also reached out to a good friend of mine who's a pastor in Colleen. Uh, his name is Wes Pope. Uh, some of you might remember Wes about three and a half years ago. He actually came here and we did a Q&A when I did a series on race and reconciliation. Um, about 10 years ago, our church actually helped uh, Wes and his church get started. We were funding them for a little while, but Wes has just been a, a good friend of mine for um, almost two decades now. And, um, and, and, and Wes had reached out to me uh, full disclosure, and just thanked us for being a church that's willing to talk about these things. And then this week, I reached that back out to him just to gain some perspective and to, to hear from him um, and his people a little bit. And so um, I want to just share really quick, and then we'll get into our sermon, um, some things that came out of that. And, and the first one um, is that I've, I've been reminded over the last few weeks that in moments like this, we need to make sure that we are people that live out James 1.19. James 1.19 says that we should be quick to listen or quick to hear and slow to speak. And I think that's super important right now. Um, in our culture, everybody wants to give their opinion. Um, social media, you know, urges us, right, to, to like drop our truth bomb on Twitter or Facebook and then sort of walk off. And, and really what we need is a dialogue and what we need is to be able to listen to people that maybe don't think the way we do or don't have our perspective. And that's just, that's something we don't see a lot in our culture. And so I was just reminded that, that I, I, I'm talking to myself here as much as anybody, that I need to be quick to listen and, and slow to speak. And um, the other thing that as Wes and I talked, um, he had said, you know, the black community, they need to know that we are with them constantly and continually. That it's not just something that we uh, speak about or talk about or are concerned about when it's a big news story. You know, uh, Wes was telling me, you know, he has some friends, some white friends that he literally hasn't spoken to or heard from at all 
uh, since uh, the events of four years ago in Ferguson. Um, and so that's just really important. You know, right now it's a big news story, but where will we be, where will our voice be three months from now, six months from now, a year from now? And Austin and I have really tried to make sure we're a church that uh, stands against things like racism and inequality and injustice, as, as do other churches. Um, and so hopefully you understand that and you know where we stand, but making sure that we're not just talking about these kinds of things when it's a national news story, but that it's continual. And then the final thing I would remind our church is just to remember who we're called to be at our core. Jesus said that we're to love God and we're to love people. We're to love our neighbor. And that didn't come with a lot of qualifiers. Jesus didn't say, you know, love people if you want to love them or if, you really, uh, if they're in your inner circle or if they're uh, really easy to love. Jesus said that we're to be people that love God and then we let that translate into the way we love people, all people. And so that's just really important during this particular season. The world needs to see a church, God's people, that are people of love, not people of division. Uh, and so I just, I just felt like maybe that would be a good reminder for us. Uh, it was a good reminder for me this week as I talked to Wes and I talked to other friends of mine um, kind of from their perspective uh, of what, what they need from us. And so, again, be encouraged and thank you guys for, um, for being people that love, that love well. Shifting gears now, we'll get into our, our sermon this week. Um, did God really say? And the statement that we're going to be exploring this week is a rather prominent, popular statement. You've probably heard it before. Maybe you've even used it before. And it's this idea that God helps those who help themselves. Heard something like that before, maybe from a family member. Uh, I remember <clears throat> it was, uh, gosh, probably 25 years ago. I was a youth intern and I remember being a youth intern, and the secretary at this particular church, uh, we would often have benevolent people that would come in for benevolence um, time and time and time again. And I remember this is a statement she used to always say. She used to always say, you know, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. And, and I would just kind of go along with that. I would actually agree, and I would go, yeah, that's right. You know, amen. You know, God helps those who help themselves. And just kind of assuming that that's something that maybe is in the Bible or something that, that, that we should absolutely believe. But as you get into Scripture and, 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 and you read about it, it's just, I mean, maybe I'm giving away the end of the sermon, but it's just not something that you see in the pages of Scripture that God ever says or that Jesus ever instructs. And as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I haven't preached now in about four or five weeks, and um, what happens as I'm preparing and getting ready is I've actually changed my sermon uh, several times between when I started getting ready for it and now. I've changed the story I was going to use. I've changed the text I was going to use. Um, and here's why. Because when you've done this long enough, you start to anticipate the emails that you'll get on Monday morning after you preach the sermon, right? And so I'll give you an example. My plan originally in talking about this particular topic was to, uh, was to go to John chapter 5 and to talk about uh, Jesus healing the man by the pool of Bethesda. There's a story in John 5, uh, verses 1 through 8. If you want to look at it and turn there, you can at some point. Read the story for yourself. But basically what happens is there are uh, all of these uh, people that, that are lame, they're invalids, they're diseased, and they're laying by this pool that has these colonnades and 
the belief was that when the waters of that pool were stirred, uh, probably by some intermittent springs that fed the pool, whenever it, the waters would be stirred, uh, the, the belief was that if you got into the water quickly, if you were one of the first ones to get into the water, that you could be, that you would be healed. And so Jesus walks up on this pool and get the picture, there's all these, these people there that need to be healed. And he literally walks up to this one man and he asks him, don't you want to be healed? And the man gives him an excuse. The man says, look, I, I, I don't have anybody to help me down into the water. And so everybody gets there before me, and he had really just kind of given up even trying. Well, it's interesting that that's the one man Jesus decides to heal. Jesus literally walks up on this pool, and he heals the one man. He helps the one man who couldn't, wouldn't help himself. But then I began to anticipate what email might I get on Monday? And it, it did dawn on me that somebody would probably say, well, well, Dave, that's just because he didn't have the ability to help himself. So the statement changes. God helps those who help themselves um, unless they don't have the ability to help themselves, right? So I thought, no, okay, I don't want to use that story. Let me, let me shift focus. And I thought I'll use the story of the criminal on the cross, Okay, the story of the criminal on the cross. In Luke 23, we see that Jesus is crucified with two criminals. And uh, one of those criminals there on the cross, uh, as, we, as we see the dialogue between him and Jesus, he ends up trusting Jesus. He ends up acknowledging that Jesus is hanging on the cross when he didn't do anything to deserve that, but he acknowledges that he himself is hanging there because he is a criminal. He has done whatever he was accused of doing. I would remind you that crucifixion was reserved for the most hardened criminals. Maybe your Bible says thief on the cross, but it's unlikely the man was just a thief. Crucifixion was for the worst of the worst. Crucifixion was for the murderers, uh, the insurrectionists, those that took up arms against Rome. I mean, crucifixion was a brutal and vicious way to die. And this man is hanging there because he has done whatever it is uh, he's been accused of doing. And yet, Jesus looks at him, and, and as they talk, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so Jesus literally saves this man, he helps this man, and, and the criminal didn't have an opportunity to help himself, right? He couldn't, he couldn't you know, work towards redemption, or, or turn over a new leaf, or start a new life, or, or any of that. And so I was, I was planning on maybe using the story of the criminal on the cross, and then I thought, no, no, because on Monday morning, I'll get an email from somebody that says, well, Dave, that's because he didn't have the opportunity to help himself. So God helps those who help themselves unless they don't have the ability or they don't have the opportunity. I wanted to find something a little more all-encompassing, and so... Um, if you want to uh, turn there, we're going to actually look at a story really quick in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, this is one of the most prominent miracles that Jesus ever performed. The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, it's actually found in all four Gospels. There are some things Jesus said or did or taught or miracles that are only in uh, one Gospel or two Gospels. This one was such a big deal that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this story. Jesus feeding the 5,000. I would remind you also that the 5,000 was just talking about the men. 
Um, we're going to see in a minute at the end of the story, with, with, chi- with women and children there, it was probably more like 15 to 20,000 people. It was a large, large group of people, all right? And so I want to I look at this story together, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about it for just a moment, all right? Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, and so it's talking about the death of his friend John the Baptist. He has just heard about the death of his friend John the Baptist. It says that he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. See what the disciples do? The disciples literally walk up to Jesus. When the people are hungry, they've been there all day. The disciples literally are trying to get Jesus to tell the people to go help themselves, right? Tell them to go feed themselves. Tell them to go buy food for themselves. Tell them to get the help they need for themselves. That's what the disciples are urging Jesus to do. Look at verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Very interesting. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Uh, Now, John's account of this same story tells us that the five loaves and the two fish came from a little boy's lunch, okay? Um, The other gospels say that when Jesus said uh, for them to, you feed them, that he instructs them to to look around, to, to see what we have here. And again, all they bring Jesus are the five loaves and the two fish, which John tells us are from a boy's lunch. Here's what, I'm, here's what I've been thinking, right? I've been thinking about this story, and it just sort of dawns on me that it sounds like in this crowd are a whole lot of irresponsible adults, right? I mean, just at first glance, that's kind of what it sounds like. You are telling me that in a crowd of like fifteen to 20,000 people, the only responsible one that brought him a lunch was some little boy, or more likely that little boy's mama who packed him a lunch before he went out the door. She may not even be in the crowd, but it seems like if all of these people are there and no one else brought a lunch, that's pretty irresponsible. That's a whole lot of people not helping themselves very much, right? Well, you know, many of you know this already, but here's how the story plays out, right? Verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me, the the five loaves and the two fish. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said, a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and they were satisfied And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. That's why we say there was probably 15 to 20,000 people there because the 5,000 was just just the men, right? So this is this unbelievable story. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he breaks it and there's all of this food for everybody to eat and there's 12 baskets left over and Undoubtedly, many of you have heard the story before, and there's a lot of different lessons in this particular story. 
There's a lot of different angles we could take, but what I want to sort of hone in on are the, the words of the disciples and the words of Jesus, right? I mean, if God helps those who help themselves, that seems to be what the disciples are thinking. They go up to Jesus and say, hey, people are hungry, send them away, have them help themselves. And I love the fact that Jesus looks at them and he says, no, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, your whole paradigm, your whole mind needs to change here. You're constantly kind of looking for people to, to, to help themselves, but it's almost like Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need to help them. And this is what I find so fascinating in the story is if you look down then at verse 19, the last part of verse 19, this is so good, it says, so Jesus does the miracle, he breaks, he breaks the bread, he, he breaks the fish, and he starts, he does the miracle, but it says at the end of verse 19, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Think about this. Jesus does the work, but he leaves it to his followers to be the ones that do the ministry of giving and serving and loving the people. That, that is unbelievably profound idea for the church. That so often we're sort of looking, um, and maybe like the disciples, we're saying things like, God helps those who help themselves. Man, they need to really, they need to kind of work a little harder. They need to do more. And I think Jesus would almost look at us like the disciples and go, no, 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 no. I, I want to help them, but I have put you in a position to be the means through which I help them. You see that? Like God is good and God is the provider and God does the miracle. God changes people's hearts and lives. Um, but at the end of the day, God wants to use us, the church, to be the instruments through which he does the work. That's exactly what happens in the story. Jesus does the miracle. The disciples are the ones that pass out the food and give out the food. The disciples are the ones that do the ministry. The disciples end up being the ones that feed the people, just like Jesus said. As I read the story, it just, again, it just struck me that you've essentially got a big crowd that didn't plan very well. Sounds like a bunch of irresponsible adults. The disciples are like, have them help themselves. Jesus is like, no, 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 you help them. And again, it just sort of dawned on me that so many parallels for us. Hopefully, I've kind of established through these stories that the idea that God helps those who help themselves is, is just not a biblical gospel idea. It's just not. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, if it's not, then why are we so prone to believe something like that? Why was I so prone, um, even as a young ministry guy, to just go along with a statement like that and I had to be honest in just some introspection about why that is. A couple reasons I think that, that I think we're so prone to believe that. Um, and they're not comfortable. They're not easy things, but I think they're true. One is it, it just boils down to pride. Believing something like God helps those who help themselves, it just sort of makes me feel better about me, right? Um, I mean, after all, if my life's going pretty well, that must mean that, that I'm doing enough, that I'm being good enough, or I'm doing enough, I'm working hard enough for God to see some worth in me to kind of put me over the, over the top, right? Like, if I'm, if I'm doing well, and I can believe God helps those who help themselves, 
It just sort of helps me feel better about me. In the Job series, Austin rightly said that this, uh, that, that this, this idea that God like, helps all the good people and, and doesn't help the bad people, right? Temporal retribution. This idea is sort of a veiled prosperity gospel. That's very true. Um, I would say that this idea that God helps those who help themselves, it's, um, it's sort of a, a veiled uh, works-based salvation, works-based righteousness. That's really what it is at, at its core. It's I've been good enough for God to see something worthy in me in order to kind of help me. And, and if someone else hasn't been good enough, that's kind of on them, right? They need, to, they need to work harder. And so it just helps me feel better about me. And the problem with a works-based righteousness works-based salvation is that it leads to one of two things. There's really no middle ground. It leads to one of two things. It either leads to pride, and you walk in a great deal of pride because you think you're pretty awesome and God, God helped you, or for those, that, for those that are struggling, it leads to a lot of guilt and shame because after all, they're trying, but it's not enough. They can't be good enough. They don't measure up, and so it leads people to walk in a lot of guilt and shame, and I would remind you that neither one of those things are really things God wants us to walk in as his children. He doesn't want us to walk in a lot of pride, but rather humility. At the same time, he doesn't want us to walk in guilt and shame. That's why he went to a cross and died so that we wouldn't. You see, but when we believe that, it leads to either pride or guilt and shame. The second reason I think we're so prone to, um, to believe something like God helps those who help themselves is, is simply because it gives me an excuse not to help, not to bless, not to be generous towards someone else when God is maybe prompting my spirit to be, right? You might say it like this, it gives me an excuse uh, it excuses my sin of omission. We've talked about sin before. There's different kinds of sins. There's sins of commission, sins of omission. A sin of commission is one where you do something that you should not do. You commit an act, you do something that you know you should not do. That's a sin of commission. A, a sin of omission is one where you fail to do something, you don't do something that you know you should do. And so what I would say is if God is stirring your heart, if God is sort of uh, speaking to you through his Holy Spirit and encouraging you to be a blessing or to help or to be generous towards someone, and you sort of turn your, your face at that, you sort of go, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I'm not going to do that, that would be a sin of omission. God says do it and you say no. And so if I can simply go through life when God sort of prompts me to be a blessing or to help someone or to be generous, and I can just go, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's simply me excusing my sin of omission. That's all that is. I don't have to be generous because, after all, they're not helping themselves enough, right? I want to kind of wrap it up by, by just making this statement. Um, really, the idea that God helps those who help themselves is, is completely antithetical to the entire gospel. It just is. Um, look with me over, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus about their spiritual condition and, 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 and where they were prior to Christ. And here's what he says. This is so good. I love this text. One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. He tells them, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience." among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says this, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Here's the thing, dead people can't help themselves, right? Like I've done a lot of funerals. I've never once seen at a funeral a dead person raise their hand and ask for help. Like, dead people don't, don't help themselves. Dead people can't help themselves. They have no desire to help themselves, right? You were dead. We were all dead in our trespasses and in our sins. This is so, so important, right? It's so important. Jesus didn't simply come to make bad people good. He didn't simply come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make spiritually dead people alive again, right? He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make spiritually dead people alive again. And the essence of the gospel is not that God helps those who help themselves. The essence of the gospel is that God helps those who don't, won't, and can't help themselves. That's the essence of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I say thanks be to God that he doesn't just help those who help themselves. Because the truth is, if that was the case, we're all in a lot of trouble. We're all in a lot of trouble. I thank God that he loved me while I was still a sinner, as Romans 5, 8 says. While I was in my sin, Christ loved me. While I was dead in my transgressions and my sins, Christ made me alive with him. And so the essence of the gospel and what Christ did for me is that he loved me and saved me when I wouldn't help myself. And so now my response as his child, as the church, like our response is not to go, you know, God helps those who help themselves, but rather it's to live that same kind of love and grace towards others. Where we love, we help, we serve, we're generous to those that can't, those that won't, those that don't. Because that's what Jesus would do, right? That's what Jesus would do. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the way that you love us, the way that you have forgiven us and saved us, the way that you in in so many ways have helped us even when we did not, would not, could not help ourselves. So, Father, I pray we would remember that the essence of the gospel is not that you are going to help those who help themselves, but rather it's that you help those who don't. And I pray we would live that out when you prompt our heart, when you stir our spirit to be generous, to give, to help, and to be a blessing, that we would not simply turn our faces at that, that we would not make excuses for that, but that we would follow through in obedience to what you're calling us to do. And God, we just even throughout this whole series, pray that you would just forgive us, myself very much included, for times when we've tended to believe things that were really not of you. They're not from you. So God, I pray you would teach us during this, help us to grow 
stretch us a little bit. And more than anything, God, help us to walk in faithful obedience to who you want us to be. We pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. We want to just um, encourage you to take a moment where you are in your home uh, to respond. Uh, Jordan and the band are going to lead us in a song. And uh, as always, there's a lot of ways you can respond. Um, If you'd like to take communion, uh, communion is this tangible sacrament where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross for us. And so uh, when we're here, we use bread and we use juice. Um, You're welcome to use anything that you would like to use. Um, Juice, wine, you can use crackers, whatever you want to use. It's just a way to, to remember and celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. And so if you'd like to do that, um, you're welcome to do that. If you want to pray with someone, uh, we have a number that you can call where uh, some of our prayer team is standing by, and we'll be happy to talk with you or pray with you about anything that you'd like to talk or pray about. Maybe you just want to spend some time worshiping along with the band um, right there where you are. And it's always a great way to respond in praise and in worship. But however you want to respond, we just want to create some space uh, right before we wrap everything up for you to hear from the Lord and allow God to do a work in your heart and in your life. And so, um, as always, we just want to provide, provide that time. Um, again, we love you guys. We're so grateful that you're a part of the Vista. And again, hopefully we'll see you back here really soon. Mountains will you hide or far scale the valleys if you grace the other side? Oh, along have I chased rivers from lonely seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending. From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache You're neither more or less inclined I will search and stop at nothing You're just not that hard to find Oh And oh, how fast would you come?
Thank you all so much for joining us online today for worship. Uh, two things to let you know about really quick before we go. First off, as Dave mentioned and just did a really good job explaining, this is obviously a really tense time in our country. Uh, there's so much tension around racial uh, just justice and, and reconciliation and how do we work for it. And so I just wanted to remind you that the world is a really, really big place. The nation is a really, really big place. And you are not responsible 
for the world, right? You are way too little, and the world is way too big for you to be responsible for it. What we are responsible for is our world, right? Our little bitty piece of the world that is our life, our family, our church, and our community. And so instead of being overwhelmed by things or getting really, really cynical, right? And those are my two temptations. I get overwhelmed or I get cynical. Just slow down and patiently work for justice and peace in your life, in your family, in your church, in our actual community. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second, we are very excited once again to remind you that we are reopening uh, the church here for worship starting on June the 21st. Uh, We have communicated a lot about it over the last two weeks, but to just remind you, we'll start on June the 21st. Uh, We will go out of our way to observe all of the different social distancing guidelines, and so things will be a little bit different. Uh, Dave and I released an FAQ video last week. Uh, It is on our website at thevista.tv slash Sunday, or you can find it on our Facebook page where we just answer some general questions. Uh, And then we got a what to expect video coming out, I believe this next week, where we will walk you through exactly what uh, Sunday will be like once we're back here at the building on June the 21st. So when it comes to uh, how to register, what you're going to do with your kids, mask, all that, we're going to walk you through it. And so just know that we're going to be responsible and we cannot wait to gather again. And so Vista, we love you. We call you to go out into your world, loving God and loving people, and we cannot wait to see you on June the 21st. Join us next Sunday once again online.